0: don't you love jesus tonight isn't he good let's just tell him one more time lord you are so good and we are so thankful for the work that you did on the cross we would not be here had it not been for your blood i would be a mess somewhere off in a corner but you rescued me renewed me restored me set my feet on a rock and here i stand Father, we just love you. We're so thankful. Now we just ask that you would use my mouth tonight to speak your word, minister life, open our eyes, open our ears to hear and receive everything you're saying tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I was going to take the easy way out and preach on what I had already preached at the ladies' retreat (laughs) because it was already, you know, all set. (laughs) and all, you know, prepared and everything. But I woke up this morning at early o'clock, and I don't think Jesus was even awake yet, but I had something else stirring. So we're going to go that direction. We'll hold on to the other one a little bit longer. Um, But I just kept hearing the phrase, what do you have in your hand? And I, I just have the sense that he wants us to leave here seeing things differently than when we walked in. And I'm going to give you an example of that, and I haven't let these two lovely people know that I'm going to use them as an example yet, but Bob and Miriam, could you come up here for a second? (laughs) Sometimes we can look at things and see them one way, but how many of you know there's more than one way to see things, depending on what you're looking at? So Bob, I want you to stand right here and face that way. And Miriam, I want you to stand right here and face that way. That way. Okay, now I want you to tell me what you see. Describe what you see. The room. The room? Does it count the screen? Oh, don't look at the screen. That's (laughs) cheating. Okay, I see a clock. I can see the sound room. I see the gentleman in the back. Um, I see lots of chairs, the two double sets of doors, the exit signs, the writing on the walls, the lights, lots of lights, bright lights, um, flags in the corners. Uh, the tables in the corners. Now that writing on the wall, was that done with a hand? Like in Daniel. (laughs) 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 All right, now Bob, I want you to describe what you see. Uh, I see the black drums. I see plastic around the drums. I see a guitar. I see the brown uh, stage implements, uh, a black uh, electronic box of some sort, a keyboard, music stands, microphones, uh, lights. How many of you can agree they're in the same room? But did they see the same thing? Thank you. You can sit down. So we're going to be looking at some things we may have looked at. (laughs) Didn't they do a great job? Good man. (laughs) So we're going to look at things that we have looked at a lot of times before. But we're going to walk away seeing some things differently. Okay, are you ready? Ready to... Expand your mind a little bit. We're going to look in Exodus chapter 3 and 4 to begin with. What do you have in your hand? And in chapter 3 verse 1 it says one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Where did the angel of the Lord appear to him? One day when Moses was doing what he did every single day in the same place that he did it every single day, there. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire. And I just kind of that stuck out to me when I was reading this today because I want you to know you don't always have to go away for 40 days of fasting and prayer to hear the word of the Lord. Moses was doing his routine. He was doing what he did day in and day out and day in and day out. He was just at his job. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. And Moses stared in amazement, though the bush was engulfed in flames and didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord went on to tell him his call. I've called you. I've certainly seen the oppression of the people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress. I am aware of their harsh slavery. I am aware of their suffering. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile, spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. It's the land that he promised to Abraham, this is the land of promise. He's getting ready to fulfill his promise to the people. The cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. If you ever think God's not looking, he is. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell him? And God told him. And if you keep going down in chapter 3, You're going to see over and over, and in chapter 4, Moses protested. Moses protested. Moses protested. (laughs) And God kept coming back to him and saying, but I will go with you, but I will go with you, but I will go with you. Hello. You know, they say, should I say it? They say a child needs to hear something 2,000 times for it to become a part of their core. I'm just wondering if it's the same with men you know, sometimes I just wonder. <laughs> it's the same. Moses wasn't quite getting it. God kept saying, I will be with you. I will be with you. I was just kidding. men. I know that's not the case. <laughs> I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. And Moses protested and Moses protested. Why? Because Moses didn't see in himself what God saw in himself. In him. But Moses protested again, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Verse 2 in chapter 4. Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied, throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw it down on the, the staff down and it turned into a snake and Moses jumped back. And then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and turned it back into the shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has really appeared to you. And then he told him to put his hand in his you know, coat and bring it out and it'd be leprous, put it back in and bring it out, and it'd be healed. And he said, if that doesn't work, if they don't believe that, then take some water from the Nile, pour it out on the ground, and it will turn into blood. They'll believe these signs. But what did God use to do the signs? What Moses had in his hand. Okay, we're going to go with that. He used the staff. So let's just kind of go in this direction. Moses kept protesting God kept responding, I will be with you. Basically, what God was saying at this point was, it's not about you. (laughs) Get over yourself, Moses. It is not about you. It's about what I want to do through you. God was really just wanting someone who would say yes and obey, right? So what Moses needed to see a little differently here was himself, And we need to get a different picture of ourselves sometimes before we'll step into what God has called us to do. We're not going to step out and do something that we don't think we're capable of. Not without a fight. Because Moses protested, he protested, he protested. And God kept saying, I will go with you, I will go with you, I will go with you. Now take that staff that's in your hand and let's go. And so then they went to Egypt, and we're going to hop, skip, and jump through Exodus. In 7, verses 8 through 10, he says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh will demand, show me a miracle. When he does this, say to Aaron, take the staff and throw it down in front of Pharaoh, and it will become a serpent. So that's what they did. They took the staff, they threw it down. It became a serpent. They picked it back up. The staff, what Moses had in his hand. seven fourteen through 21 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn, and he still refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes down to the river. Stand on the bank of the Nile and meet him there. Be sure to take along the staff that turned into a snake. Then announce to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to you. Let my people go so they can worship me. Until now you have refused to listen to him. So this is what the Lord says. I will show you that I am Lord. So what did Moses do? He went and he took the that he had in his hand. Verse, chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh and announce to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs across your entire land. The Nile River will swarm with frogs. They will come up out of the river and into your palace, even into your bedroom and into your bed. And they will enter the houses of your officials and your people. They will even jump into your ovens, ew, and into your kneading bowls. Frogs will jump on you, ew, double ew, your people and all your officials, then the Lord said to I sometimes read these plagues and wonder which one it would have liked the worst, like which one would have been the grossest one other than, you know, the death of the firstborn, because they're just like nasty. <laughs> but what did he tell him? Go and take the staff that's in your hand and the frogs will come. Eight, 16 and 17 is when the gnats come and he says, raise the staff and strike the ground. God gave Moses something that he could see, right? Something that he had in his hands to use as a point of contact for his faith. Take the staff that's in your hand. God uses what we have in our hand, but we have to see ourselves differently. Verse 9, 21 and 22 is when the hail comes and he tells him, take the staff that's in your hand and hold it up. When they get to the Red Sea in chapter 14... What does he say? He tells him to stand there and raise the that's in your hand. In in chapter seventeen, verses one through seven, it's where he tells him to go to the rock and strike it with the and water will run out. What do you have in your hand? God uses what we have in our hand. God used what Moses had in his hand to perform these miracles. But I want us to go over to Numbers verse, or chapter 20 real quick. Because this is kind of the second water from the rock. Because I want to bring this point out. In verse 2 it says, There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground. And then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the, and in- take the what? And assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there. Speak to the rock over there. Take the staff, speak to the rock, and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the? From the place where it was kept before the Lord. And then he and Aaron, some of the people to come and gather at the rock Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand, and did he speak to the rock? He struck it twice, and water flowed. Verse 12, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. He took the staff, he took what was in his hand, But he didn't obey the very word of the Lord. What did he do? He struck it. God was wanting to reveal the power of words to the people of Israel. And Moses didn't trust him enough to obey. What did he trust? Did the staff do the miracles? No. It was just a point of contact. And we have to make sure that when he starts using what's in our hands, or using our hands, or using our words, or using us, that our faith doesn't think it in us. I am just so awesome. <laughs> that it always stays in Him. Amen. The staff didn't do the miracles, did it? He used what Moses had in His hand as something that everybody could see, but the staff didn't do the miracles. God did the miracles. We want to always keep our faith in His power, not in our hands. Amen. Amen. What do you have in your hand? Let's go to 1st Samuel 17 cuz we haven't looked at this section of scripture in a while. <laughs> Anybody know what 1st Samuel 17 is? <laughs> you thought we were done with David and Goliath after Sunday, didn't you? <laughs> So Pastor Michael talked a lot about David and Goliath. We've learned a lot of things from them. But I want to just highlight a couple verses here. We're going to go to verse 41. And we know they're facing each other down. And Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his God. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the armies of Israel, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have divided. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in heaven. And there's one translation, in the, New Liv- or the NIV translation in verses 41 through 43, Goliath says, you don't have anything to kill me, but I'm going to kill you. And David comes back and he says, I might not have a sword, but I've got the name of the Lord God Almighty on my side. And I am going to kill you, and I am going to take you down. God wasn't interested in what David didn't have. Goliath was. Goliath was so focused on what David didn't have. You don't have a sword. You have nothing to kill me with. That he was so cocky and so arrogant so focused on what David didn't have, but it didn't matter. So how many times do people focus on what you don't have and tell you what you don't have, and you can't, and you don't, and you can't, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and don't do that. Don't you follow that. That word of God, I don't know about that. It doesn't matter what people say you can't. It doesn't matter what people see you don't have. What we need to know is that the God of the armies of Israel is on our side. And it doesn't matter what we don't have. Right this second, when I need it, I'll have it. And when David needed it, he had it. Do you think a stone had the power to kill that giant? But did God direct the stone? Cause him to fall, and then David used his very own sword to cut his head off? Did God provide David with what he needed to kill him when he needed it? Did it matter that David didn't have it before he needed it? How many of us want to have it before we need it? Just because it feels a lot safer and more comfortable that way. (laughs) But trust me when I tell you, if you step out in faith on the name of the Lord when you need it, you're going to have it. So we need to look at what we don't have a little differently. It's not that we won't have it. It's just that we don't have it yet. Yet's a crucial word there. So it doesn't matter what we don't have. We're going to look at that a little bit more. First Kings 17. I love the word. Do you, is it encouraging? The Word encourages and gives life and hope. 1 Kings 17, in verses 1 through uh, 7, they're in a famine. Remember Elisha said, it's not going to rain till I say it's going to rain. And so they're in this famine, and God sends them to the brook, and he commands the ravens to feed him. And so the ravens bring him food, and he drinks out of the brook until it dries up. And in verse 8, it says, and the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Same verbiage. He told him in the first part of the book, I've commanded the ravens to feed you. And guess what they did? And so when he hears the same words from God again, I've commanded a widow to feed you. It's easy to trust that because he's just experienced it. I've commanded a widow to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little water and a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, and bring me a bite of bread too. <clears throat> and she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I are going to die. Well, that's a lovely to-do list. <laughs> Gather sticks, check. Make bread, check. Die. Ooh. <laughs> and so then I'm wondering what, what in the world is going through Elijah's head. This, there's got to be more widows here, Right? <laughs> she can't. They're going to die. They got nothing. Word of the Lord, I've commanded the widow to feed you. The widow, ha- are, there, are there any other widows in town? <laughs> nope. I'm it. <laughs> okay, well, then this has got to be it. <clears throat> Verse 13, but Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. And again, God used what she had to provide the miracle, didn't he? He didn't multiply something else. He didn't bring money in the mouth of a dog. He didn't send her out fishing to find money in the fish's mouth, which he did with Peter. He used what she had in her house. And she, again, saw what she didn't have. But Elijah wasn't focused on what she didn't have. Elijah was focused on the word of the, Lord. the word of the Lord was, the widow will feed you. So no matter what has to happen for the widow to be able to feed her, it has to happen. And so there's times when we put our face to the word, No, Father, you said <laughs> in your word that by your stripes I am healed. And then has anyone ever experienced opposition to the word? And when there's opposition to the word, it's so easy to go by or what we feel. Oh, how easy is it to go by what we feel? Well, I thought it was healed, but I'm feeling this way. And I thought it was healed, but I'm, if I was, then would I be feeling this way? And I really felt better yesterday, so I must have been healed yesterday, but not today. Anybody? <laughs> but we need to just make that adjustment of how we're seeing it. If God said it, he'll do it. Even if it doesn't make sense to us. Even if it didn't make sense to Elijah. This is this widow? Really? Because really God didn't send him there for him. The ravens could have fed him till the drought was over. God sent him there for that widow because she needed him. So there's sometimes when we're going through that kind of stuff that somebody else needs our face to pull them through, right? He saw the word. The word is always true. The word is always true, there might be a physical fact in your body. There might be a physical lack of fact in your checkbook. Everyone say, truth supersedes fact. Every time. If God said it, and you believe it, and hold on to that, you're going to see his faithfulness. Yes. Amen. 2 Kings 4, 1-7. through seven. Another widow. One day the widow of a member of the group of, the, of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except... A flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her, and then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil, pay your debts, and your sons can live on what is left over. What do you have in your? What did she have in her house? Oil. 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 I don't have anything. Well, she did, really. She did have something. But since it didn't look like a lot to her, she devalued what she actually had. Anybody? Well, if my house were bigger, I would have people over to dinner. If I made more money, I might actually give something in church or to the neighbor or to the poor. Devaluing. If I were smarter, if I were more articulate, if I were better at this or prettier at that or If I look different, I would try. We devalue what we do have (laughs) and don't do anything with it at all, which is what she was doing, nothing. She devalued the little that she did have, and she wasn't doing anything with it. But God wanted her to see it differently. You you know why? Because little is much in the hand of God. Little is much in the hand of God when you release it with faith. He is faithful. And we don't have to understand what he's going to do or how he's going to do it, although we like to try to figure it out. Have you ever tried to figure it out? He told me one time, you let me author a whole lot of things, but you don't ever let me finish them. He's the author and the finisher. And I was like, ouch. <laughs> and it was true. Because, I, you know, we'd pray for something and start to see breakthrough or start to see some things unfold. And then I'd start to make a plan. Because I plan. I like to plan. I'm a planner. I like details. I like information. I like to plan. So I would take the tiny breakthrough Sunshine, little light at the end of the tunnel that I would start to see and make a whole plan. We're going to do this and this and this, and then after this much time, and this happens and that'll happen, and then everything will be perfect. Done. Breakthrough over. (laughs) And then, like, that whole door just like collapses. I don't understand. You were, you provided this direction. It's like I wanted to provide so much more than just one little step. But if I would have figured it out and made my plan and my plan would have worked, then who would have got the glory? So he would shut the door on all my little plans. (laughs) And it never worked out the way that I thought it was going to work out. I'm sure when she went to Elisha, she didn't think he was going to tell her to go borrow as many jars as she could from her neighbor, shut herself in her house and start to pour her Tiny little bit of oil that she had left that wasn't even enough to mention until the very end. That was probably not on her to-do list. It was probably not in her planning book. But it was in God's. And it's so easy to hold on to our understanding. It's so easy to hold on to our reasoning. But when we do... We're going to miss the miracle. We need to let go of our reasoning, not our common sense, (laughs) not our wisdom. (laughs) You can mix common sense and wisdom with faith. You know that, right? We're good there. Okay. But to have to figure it out and to understand what God's going to do, we don't want to do that. We don't want to devalue what we do have. We want to go to him and say, all right, God, this is what I do have. What can I do with it? What can you do with it? Let me see what you're going to do. Because remember, the power wasn't in the staff. power wasn't in the jars or the oil or the flour or the stone. It's in him. Amen. Matthew 14. God is so cool. He is so cool. The more that I read the miracles and study the miracles and feed on the miracles, the hungrier I get to see what he's going to do now. Because he said greater things. Greater things. My goodness, we haven't even seen these things yet. And greater things, I cannot wait to see what he's going to do. We limit him so much by our understanding. Oh, let's, see, this is it, ladies. Let's take the limits off. See, I should have probably gone that, oh, they can mix together. Okay, maybe next week. We need to take the limits off of what we think he can do. Because we're not going to ask if we limit ourselves up here. We contain our asking in our understanding. And we need to not do that at all. At all. Mm, God is big. And He can do so much more than we can even imagine. I mean, He split the Red Sea. My goodness. And they walked over on dry ground, it wasn't muddy. There wasn't a little layer of water left on it. The whole sea parted and it was dry as if it was in a drought. And millions of people crossed it. And then Pharaoh tried to cross it and just when they all got in the water, because they thought if they can do it, I can do it. But they didn't have covenant with God. God can do so much. Somebody was healed of leprosy by dunking in a river seven times. The doctors would never prescribe that now. Somebody would look at them like they were lunatics. It was the power in the dunking. It was in the hand of God activated by obedience, which was activated by faith. We need to keep our faith in the power of God. Matthew 14. 13 through 21, as soon as Jesus heard the news about John the Baptist being beheaded, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Jesus was human, right? He went to grieve his cousin. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed him on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. (laughs) I love it. Because Jesus was taking it all off of himself and delegating it to his disciples. You feed them. What are you going to do about this? Can you think outside the box? Verse 17, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then they told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fishes and looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples to distribute it to the people. they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets, lots left over. We don't have enough is what the disciples were saying. And Jesus was like, but we got something. What do we have? What do we have? But I love what Jesus said. He said, they wanted him to send him away. Because they didn't see a way for that to happen. But Jesus stirred their faith, said, that's not necessary. You do something about this. And sometimes they're like, oh, God, do something, do something, do something, do something, do something, do something. I need you to do something. He's like, okay, but you do something. <laughs> you know why? Because he's given you all authority. All authority. The authority that he had is the authority that we have. Right? And I said this at the retreat, and we'll get into it if If he lets me teach again next Wednesday. (laughs) I am just inviting myself back. I'm just that bold. (laughs) But um, looking at the world around us, right, can very much limit our thinking of what God can do. It looks hopeless and helpless and all of that. But I woke up at the retreat on Saturday morning with this phrase in my heart, culture can only rule where the church does not because we look around and culture is ruling, isn't it? And I just saw something today where our administration's defense lawyers defended two Muslims on a Freedom of Religion Act, because they didn't want to drive truck for alcohol. That's it. They didn't want to deliver alcohol because it was against their religion. And our administration fought for them. Now, who doesn't think that's fair? Not that they fought for them, but that they didn't fight for ours. Why? Because culture's ruling. Or Supreme Court decisions makes it look like culture is ruling. But culture can only rule where the church does not. And I don't know about you, but I am tired of culture ruling. Amen. <laughs> uh-uh. Culture can only rule where the church was not. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, what are you going to do about it? Well, we were going to send him away. Did you not hear me the first time? But Jesus wanted them to know they had authority. And they could do greater works than these. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. Not healed a hangnail. <laughs> you know, not did some of these little things. Not even provided the oil in the jar. The greatest display of the power of God was when he reached down past the grave, into hell where Jesus was for three days and three nights and raised him from the dead, victorious, making a display of all the powers of darkness, the display, that power of God, that power of God is what lives in you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And that's when we're saying, do something, and he's saying, what are you going to do about it? The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And when you declare the word of God, the power of God is released into it. If you believe, what do you have in your hand? You have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Right? Whew. Man. Is anybody else excited about the power of God on the inside? We live too low. We live way too low. Oh, next week, next week, next week. Can I teach next week? Oh, good. <laughs> Hudson Taylor. I love it. Has anyone ever read Hudson Taylor's book? Go on Amazon and buy it. I'm just saying, go on Amazon and buy it. It's a great investment into your soul. He was the founder of China Inland Mission back in the 1800s, something. And um, the first faith-based missionary. In that day, the societies sent you out and provided all your needs. You didn't have to use your faith. Except for he didn't like the way that those societies operated because they operated in debt. And he was against it, so he started his own. And so it grew to be how many hundreds of missionaries that he provided for. And the the premise was, we're going on faith. If God can't provide, then we can't go. But God always provided. And so they were coming up on these bills being due. It would be like the equivalent of needing $1,000 and having five. And so his uh, coworker that was walking with him that day, they had just gone to the post office or something, and and nothing came in the mail, which was how it always came, right? Came in the mail. And he goes, "What are you going to do? You don't have enough. You only have five dollars, and you need a thousand. What are you going to do? You don't have enough." And he goes, "Well, what are you talking about?" Hudson Taylor said, "I don't understand." I have $5 and all the promises of God, I have more than enough. But you have to see it. You have to see it a little differently. We need to stop seeing what we don't have and start imagining what he can do with what we do have. What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? He is so faithful. So I want encourage you, don't discount what you do have. Right? Don't discount what you do have. Offer it to God and see what he can do with it. And we're not just talking money. We're talking our time, our talents, our treasure, our tongue. All that I am belongs to you. I might not find myself <laughs> valuable, but you see something of value in me like he did Moses. We need to see ourselves the way that God sees us. We need to see that little is much in the hand of God. We need to see that the same power that raised Christ lives on the inside of us. And he wants to use it to change the world that we live in. Because when we're ruling, culture can't. He's faithful. It's not what you have If I only had more of this, if I only had more of that. It's not what you have, it's about what you do with what you have that makes a difference. So, are are you ready to see stuff different? Are you going to go home and look at your cupboards different? Look at your checkbook different? Look at anything different? Are y'all here tonight? Let's look at it different. Are you going to look at the power of God on the inside of you different instead of saying, I can't? Saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're going to live higher. Live higher. Who else do you think he's going to do the miracles through? He's getting ready to pour out of his spirit on all flesh. Can he sovereignly perform miracles? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the majority of the time, is he going to use us to do it? Absolutely. And he's looking for people who are going to take him at his word. He doesn't need the most amazing vessel that's out there. He doesn't need the most talented, the most brilliant, the most beautiful, the most articulate. He doesn't need anything except for someone who's willing to empty themselves so that he can pour in so that they can pour out. That's all he needs is an empty vessel. Amen. Amen. Father, I did the best with what you have put in my heart that I can do. Now I pray that you would continue to break this bread to our hearts as we leave, as we go home, as we lay down tonight, as we get up in the morning. Stir our hearts to see ourselves, our lives, what we have differently. Show us what we can do with what you've given us, Father. In Jesus' name. He's faithful. Don't discount. Please don't discount anything. You know, the Apostle Paul was just writing letters. He wasn't writing the New Testament when he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, Romans. He wasn't thinking, this is going in the canon. (laughs) This is going to be canonized and part of the New Testament. That was not even a dream in his head or a thought in his mind. He wrote letters to the churches that he loved. And look what blessing that was. So even if you sit down tomorrow and write somebody an encouraging letter, that's what you have in your hand. Do it. Don't back away from it. Do it. Amen. Amen. Well, God is good. You're dismissed. Have a great night.